Well, let's see if I remember how to do this. Five, five weeks is a record that has not happened. Seventeen years. Um, Lord allowed me to do a couple funerals. <laughs> Closest thing to coming back to here. Um, so we didn't want everyone dying off, so I wanted to come back and uh, share the word of God. So um, we're going to be looking uh, where we ended, if you remember, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I hope uh, for the benefit of this next 30 minutes that you lost it this past week. Uh, and really there's no other benefit perhaps, but, uh, but maybe for today. Uh, was there some time you lost it? Uh, you got angry? Got frustrated, got worried, anxious. Did you snap at somebody? You got a specific incident in mind yet? Need some time to think about which one, sort through. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to publicly confess it, all right? Just for your own benefit, need to write a little picture, draw a little word, point a little finger at somebody. <laughs> Just to remind you, okay, let's think about this incident where emotionally I was wrecked. Uh, because it'll, it'll just help us think through um, <laughs> idols, <laughs> idols of our heart. In Acts chapter 19, uh, when we left, we were talking about Paul in the city called Ephesus. He had actually spent some time there. About three years in total, he'd stay in the city, a major city. Uh, it was probably about the fourth largest city in Rome, uh, in the Roman Empire. It was a, uh, the most prosperous city of the most prosperous province. It was an economic powerhouse uh, in this, this location. Uh, it was known, uh, even today, you can go to the ruins and see some amazing sites that are there, uh, including uh, part of the ruins to the, uh, the temple of Artemis, uh, or the Roman title Diana. Uh, and so it was a, a pretty significant place, and, and God had given him, uh, Paul, a safe hold there, uh, a location where he can teach uh, the Word of God. And so in Acts 19, we had seen God doing amazing, miraculous, supernatural things through Paul, even uh, supercharging his hanky so that it could heal people. I mean, this is the stuff that you uh, people try to make money off of today. Uh, and that was what was going on for real uh, with Paul. And so some unusual activity uh, that was happening. But then there's also spiritual uh, counter activity, spiritual dynamic. Uh, de- uh, de- <laughs> Thank you. I have, I have forgotten a few things. Like how to talk, <laughs> demonic, thank you, uh, activity that was happening. And so uh, if you saw the first part of verses 1 through 20, you have this, this incidents where uh, we saw that there needed to be the public recognition, the authority of Jesus and baptism, how that was unique and set apart from just moralism and just do better type teaching uh, and repentance. Uh, and then we saw uh, the, the spiritual work that took place uh, and you had these demons uh, recognizing Paul, recognizing Jesus, but these who are trying to use the name and use the authority of Jesus to their own benefit get publicly beat, humiliated, 
Uh, and so everyone realized there is power in submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. And then so it, it kind of produced this aha moment for many new believers. Uh, in fact, there were many new believers that were recognizing Jesus, but at the same time they would kind of have their incantations, their, their, uh, their spiritual sorceries to say, well, you know, when things go bad, I want to be able to, to go here, and I've got these remedies, I've got these chants, and I've got these little uh, uh, good luck charms on the side. And so when they see this encounter of demonic activity, understand and recognize the authority of Jesus, it produces within them this uh, this desire to be wholly sold out to Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you were reading in Acts chapter 19, you see verse 18, 19, and 20, they did something significant that these believers confessed, divulged their practices, and those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That may not mean quite as much to us, uh, but understand this is kind of like a uh, hundred, if we got 150 of us, and we dedicated to take our salary for the year, and all of us collectively, of 150 of us, uh, which is maybe about the size of this, the, the group here, year's salary, and towed it all together, and bought a bunch of sorcery books. That's the, the money value of what's being burned up right here, all right? So that's somewhere between one to two million dollars up in smoke. So understand that if you have a faith that impacts your dollar, then a society that worships dollars takes note. And they took note in Ephesus, the commerce capital uh, of that province. And I'm just going to share with you that when we as believers start worshiping God with our money, then people will take note. When they see the generosity of people who love God and love others, sometimes they may not know that we worship God because we worship the same God as them. But what we do with money. But that's not really the point. Just a side note here, all right? So let's go on. Uh, and we come to verse 21, and we see the reaction. The word of the Lord's continue to increase and prevail mightily. And we're just going to look at this and see just some observations I want to make about idols that happen in our life and that can happen in your life and so let's just stand as we read together recognizing uh, this being God's word beginning with verse 21 through 41 now after these events Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying after I've been there I must also see Rome and having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! 
So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, which were kind of the city councilmen, uh, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians, of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. And if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with them have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. If you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You may be seated. It seems like Luke has recorded this uh, fairly interesting story for really no other purpose but to explain the events as to why Paul leaves Ephesians and goes to the other areas. Remember, this book is a chronicle of how the gospel went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so this little event is kind of what precipitated the the next course, uh, as we see in chapter 20. But as he does, it gives us a little insight of what it is to worship idols. And we see in here a lot of emotion. In fact, a group, a mob, ready to do violence uh, toward uh, anyone if they can get their hands and figure out who to do violence on. And so that's kind of why I ask this question to begin. What was that incident, incident in your life this past couple weeks that precipitated a rush of emotions, of anger, of anxiety, of frustration? What is it that's going on there? Because usually it's in those moments when the emotions take charge that we kind of have a window of our heart. As much as we may like or not like what we see, it still reveals what gets our blood boiling. And you see the blood boiling here. Now, uh, there's nothing quite like the pressure of coming back from a sabbatical and everyone expecting you, you're refreshed, right? You're ready to roll, right? We're looking forward to Sunday. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to do a good sermon on Sunday. You know, there's a little bit of pressure there. I'm just telling you. Well, let me just give you a little insight of what happened. One thing that happened, um, we were in the mountains, and I thought it would be a great idea to go tubing. Because I have these childhood memories that were just great tubing. I mean, everything was fun and had all these rapids, and so we had set up a, a, a place that was not far from where we were staying to go, and I uh, had a, a team of some people. I was, uh, you know, my wife and I were the oldest ones, uh, and we had a few other uh, children that, that were about the age of, uh, of ours, and, uh, and so we're going to go tubing, and um, several, several plans fell uh, as we were 
tubing down the river and I didn't really realize it until three hours down into the river. So the first thing I didn't realize is that someone had let the dam out and the water was low, which means that you're doing the crab walk on an inner tube down a river. <laughs> Makes very slow going. So the second thing that fell through uh, was that we were counting on someone to use their phone to call help, to pick us up. After three hours, I had had long enough. I said, all right, let's, let's give a call. Let's just pick them up. My phone's not working. What do you mean your phone's not working? It got water on it. Are you kidding me? Well, I brought my backup phone just in case. It's not working. AT&T doesn't cover that area of the state, evidently. <laughs> and so, only thing we can do is just, well, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. I thought, well, maybe there's someone that's supposed to be here to pack us up. And then I found out, oh, well, he already went to play golf because it's past time. Well, you could, have t- I was like, you could have told me that earlier, you know. And so we're just rolling. So the only thing we can do is like, well, there's a shortcut. Let's pick up the kayaks. <laughs> because someone had decided it would be good to have a couple kayaks. And I'm the oldest one there. And the only other older ones closer to me are, were some of the young teenage girls. So I'm carrying two kayaks, and, and they're rotating in and out. We're going out about three-quarters of a mile up a mountain. I'm just going to tell you, there were some emotional pitches here, all right? There was some, I'm not going to tell you what my wife was saying, <laughs> but she was not pleased with me, all right? And none of the kids were, because it was all on me. It was my idea. They're still not dealing with things, all right? Um, I wasn't sure that they would follow me much of anywhere after that. Um, this, this emotional expectation, this, this thought of, you know, I came here, I had expectations, and, and this tubing was supposed to take me to a good place. It was supposed to take my family to a good place, and instead, we're all mad at one another in the midst of all this natural beauty, you know? <laughs> so, when I come home and say, are you refreshed? <laughs> yes, yes. But it's nothing like being with your family to reveal the gods that you worship, right? And they're there. And nothing like going on a trip where in any trip you get angry at one another, mad at one another. And here's the thing, every underneath all these tempter tantrums of the adults are gods, Things that we've got going on in our heart and life. And so, I just helped you out with you understanding we all have our emotional points, don't we? You've had them. We read about one here of a whole collective city just getting in an uproar. And we see that it's about some idols or an idol. And the question really is, what is the idols that are in our own life? And so, as we read this story... Uh, notice Demetrius, he is the, the kind of the silversmith who evidently might be in charge of, a, of his silver guild of some sort. And so he is up in arms because he sees a threat to his livelihood. He sees a threat to his security and he makes an appeal, not just a threat to his livelihood, but he appeals to the goddess of Diana or Artemis, and then he appeals to the country. And so as we read his little um, his little speech, he makes a simple God and country speech uh, that is 
geared to get to the emotions of the Ephesians. You see, idols form the basis of our security and glory. Idols form the basis of our security and glory. What are the things that we tell ourselves that if we have this, then we will have proper glory, proper respect? If we have this, then we can feel good and comfortable about our life. And you notice how Demetrius is doing that uh, as we see this in verse 25, 26. He says, man, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And I'm going to tell you, in our country, if it hits the dollar mark and starts to turn the tables on the dollar, then you see strong reaction from the country. And that's what's going on in the city of Ephesus here. And then he, he says, verse 26, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And I would say that Demetrius has summed it up very well. May there be some who in Nightdale say the same thing of us, who in Raleigh will say the same things of us. We keep saying that a God made by man is not God. The thing is, is we've got to do that in our own heart for us to proclaim consistently and faithfully with all our heart that only God is worthy of our hope, of our security, of our glory. And so he makes this pitch and he says, this is what he keeps saying. If, if he keeps saying this, we're going to notice in verse 27, there is danger. Not only if this trade of ours may come into disrepute. But also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be contended as nothing, counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed of from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. You see, he says, what's at stake is the glory of Ephesians, the glory of Ephesus. What is at stake is, uh, at stake is the magnificence. What is at stake is our economic security. Everything seems to revolve around that. And the temple there was a, a bank. It was a financial center for that province where people would actually have so much money in this temple, they would uh, uh, have lending services out of this, this temple. And so here they are, and he's saying this is what's going on. Let me ask you some questions that kind of speak to this a little bit. What is your big ship that you're hoping will come in? What is that thing you, you hope would happen? That then, if it happens, your life would be up a notch or two. Perhaps it's a certain position in your work that if you could just attain to this position, then your life will get the respect that you believe is due you. You will have security. Or if you have kids, then maybe then this will work right. Or if my, my health will improve. Or if uh, I can get noticed and recognized in my work, if I can accomplish some things on my bucket list, if that justice, that thing, that person that did wrong to me, if that will get me made right. Let me ask you this question. What if you never have kids? Or you do have kids. <laughs> and realize they're not what you thought. <laughs> what if you do get married or don't get married? What if your health never improves? What if you never get noticed in your work? What if you never get that 
promotion? What if you never attain that grade in school? What if you don't accomplish some of those things on your bucket list? And what if you've suffered something and it is never made right? You know that happens, don't you? That happens every life. And the question is, will God be your God? Are you holding on to one of these things for security and glory? Jeremiah 9, verse 23, verse 24 is a passage that spoke to me, especially when I was in seminary. Because I saw in seminary that people had the idol of scholarship. If you have good grades in seminary, then you could be esteemed higher, or you get a different degree, a PhD. Then you come into the pastor and think, well, if you have a good church, a growing church, you've got your own things, I've got the things that are in my life. But here's what spoke to me. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Nor let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practice steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You see, what God has intended your life to be is that you will boast in your relationship with Jesus Christ. God has made you relationship-centered. And we abuse and break our souls and our life when we take our soul and say, let me find identity in a position, in a job title, in a grade, in a performance, in a, in a relationship outside of Jesus Christ. God has made you to boast in the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. So how are we focusing our heart, our mind? See, the fact of the matter is, is I can lose any of these things. I can lose a job. I can lose a church. I can lose a family. I can lose relationships. I can lose my health. I can lose the respect of people around me. But God has made it such that no death, no power, or principality, or anything can separate me from the love that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. The call is to value supremely what is supremely valuable. That is where we find our security and glory. But then, notice how we, we see this, this scene. There's a second observation about idolatry idol worship, is it draws our emotions. It draws our emotions. Notice how they are enraged here. The city was, was filled. It says when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, uh, this, this um, theater that they all run to holds 25,000 people. So if you go to uh, the PNC arena, and it's full for a basketball game or hockey, 19,000. All right? Dean Dome, 21,000. This theater holds 25,000 people. Now, I don't know how many people. The Bible doesn't say how many people were there. But it does speak in such terms to describe it as the city was filled with confusion. The city had 250,000 people in that city at that time. 
So let's just say 10%. You got a theater filled, 25,000 people that are there. And they're all, notice what they're crying. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I was listening to a, a podcast of an uh, 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 evangelical event that was, I think, maybe a week or so ago. Had 13,000 people there, and they're all singing praises to God. And you could hear the stadium like, oh, that is amazing. I remember years ago going to the Promise Keepers events and hear the men sing at, at close to 20,000, hearing praises to God, and it just brings chills all over you, thinking this is a little bit of heaven. But listen, just as we can do a little bit of that here, I'm going to tell you that this world in mass numbers can bring praises to idols. And here they are in unison, seeing great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the Bible goes on to describe that this went for two hours. There's a little bit of emotion here. There's a little bit of emotion. I'm just going to say to you that when we worship God, I know we don't want to be emotional, but listen, we are to be emotional. When we worship God, we're to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and there is to be an outpouring of our heart. If there's never an outpouring of your heart to God in worship, then I'm not sure you're worshiping God with all your heart. Because I see that we can get emotional about many other things. And so here, their emotions are drawn out. Jesus said in this way, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is just saying a simple principle that what you invest in will draw your heart. So Jesus is making a plea. Therefore, invest in heaven. Invest in and that which is secure, he says, no one can serve two masters, but either will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let me ask this question. What is that thing that if you lose will bring despair in your life? That's why I ask, what, what, has, what have you gotten angry about? Now we know that we shouldn't be angry, right? We know that we shouldn't probably cuss some people out or think it. We know that we shouldn't speak hateful thoughts because Jesus has told us to love God and to love others as ourselves. And so what is it? Why are we sacrificing God's command, disobeying God, sacrificing that so that we can be angry? Chances are, those are the idols. We're sacrificing the commands of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus, so that we can express anger toward this. Well, let me ask you this question. What are you unable to forgive? What are you unable to forgive? When you can't forgive someone because what they did to you caused such a deep resentment that you can't just let it go. It might be because what they did threatened or attacked your idol. It's interesting the, how people react to different events. You know, one person that gets a bad grade in school, they say, oh, well, I guess I'll try better next time, maybe. Then someone else, you get like a B, and they're crying. Why are there two different reactions? It has something to do with what they're getting identity in. So one pastor talks a story, tells a story about two women, both of them dealing with adultery. 
and their marriages. One of them was a fairly new Christian. And then in counseling is confronted and she learns to forgive and they are able to make the marriage work. And then another Christian woman grew up in the church, had her husband commit adultery. The children now are having to go back and forth. And this woman cannot forgive the man. Both knowing the gospel, why can one do it and the other not? Perhaps it may reveal that the second woman has always had a good Christian family as her idol. And this man has now ruined it and stolen that which she worshipped. What is it that we cannot forgive? You see, these idols become what draw our emotions in. And so I want your emotions, and God wants your emotions to say, value something worth being emotional about. Get angry about that which deserves to get angry about. Love and delight in that which is worth loving and delighting in. One of the things about being in Haiti is they worshiped with their whole body. You know, corporately. Um, we we, we kind of settle with our mouth, maybe hand, you know, but they're moving constantly. And that's not a terrible thing. The more important principle behind it is that you worship God with all that you are. All of who you are, direct and practice directing your heart toward him. But you see something else that happens as we read this. Here's Demetrius and he, he feels like this idol is being threatened and so he feels like it's his job to protect idols. And if you have idols, you do work hard on protecting them. Idols will need to be protected because they can be taken. They can be stolen. It's one of the things that is enlightening when you go visit other countries that do worship idols overtly. And you kind of see what's behind it. It helps us to identify what may be objects of desire of worship here. One of the, the things that was the most enlightening was when I was in another country and they had a idol of the kitchen. I thought, whoa. And I started thinking about that. How do you think that might correspond here in America? I'll let the Holy Spirit do the work on you on that. Think through that. But one of the things is that whether you want a spotless house, spotless kitchen, or certain food, or certain clothing, or certain prosperity, it can all be taken away. The most popular goddess in India was the goddess of calamity and destruction because they're praying against destruction and calamity because these things can take away the prosperity. And here, just a few weeks after seeing one of their places, earthquakes come in. There in Haiti, one of the pastors told me a story of a man that had spent his life fortune to build a house, which is a significant thing to do in Haiti. And he has been spinning everything up, all his resources, and he watches as the earthquakes and the building falls down. And the man goes insane, literally. Our idols have to be protected. 
Much the source of our anxiety can be found when our idols are threatened. What do you feel obsessive about to protect in your life? Is it your marriage? Finding that right one, are you obsessed about that? Are you obsessed about how you are viewed, your beauty? Maybe it's your reputation. You're obsessed about your reputation. Your kids, are you obsessed about your kids? You become clingy with your kids. We should protect them, yes. But we can't control everything about them. Is it your money where you're always anxious and worried about what, that, about what may happen? Are you going to have enough for your future? You know, the problem is, is that as we try to do this, these things that we once enjoy, we no longer enjoy because it takes too much work to maintain, to uphold them. And instead of bringing joy, it brings frustration in our life. Here's the great thing as we read this. God, Jesus, is not made with hands. You see, instead of having to protect Jesus, Jesus protects us. (laughs) He's our Savior. And to draw our emotions toward Jesus Christ is a worthy object. You see, Tim Keller, one pastor, has said this great statement. Jesus is the only God whom when you obtain him will satisfy you. And when you fail him, he will forgive you. If I fail my reputation, my reputation doesn't forgive me. And I never can quite satisfy my thirst for a good reputation. By living for money, I never can quite have enough, can I? But if I fail, there is no forgiveness. Fame is never enough. And then it becomes the monster that you, that's controlling you. And will never forgive you if you fail. Jesus is the only one who will satisfy your heart and will forgive you if you fail. See, when it's all said and done, death is the great equalizer. You're going to say goodbye to the things you made when it's all said and done. We're gathered together with family for a, a funeral. My great uncle. We're trying to think back. We heard, you know, this is the last time we're all going to get together probably. And we're thinking back. And we can't think back to a certain descendant. Even, you see, even your family will forget your name. <laughs> You've been spending all your life for your family. There will be a coming time like, I don't know the name of that one up there. <laughs> There's no eternity there. Your house is going to fall apart. Your job, when you leave it, they'll move on. And the job might even be obsolete after you leave on. Cars will fail. Relationships will end. You'll get old. Wrinkles will come whether you fight it or not. 
Gray hair will be there, or no hair. And there will be a physical weakness. It'll happen. I hope you're not worshiping youth and beauty. You know, I was talking with, I was thinking about Debbie. We had her funeral this past week. We, I remember her, we were talking about death because she was afraid of dying, as many of us naturally are. But one of the things that she was talking about, how she learned about death, was what this idea a counselor brought of seeing uh, helium balloons go up in the air. And I think that uh, there was a funeral where they celebrated that way. And, uh, and watching these balloons go up, and, and, and counselors saying, sometimes you just have to let people go as they die, as these balloons go up. And she and I were talking about, oh, you know, every funeral you go to, is a lesson that you have to say goodbye to them. You have to let them go. And you see, what you're really doing is not just preparing for your life when you go to a funeral. You're preparing for your own death when you see loved ones go before you. Because when it's all said and done, as you've watched them go, little bit by little bit, one here, one there, there will be a day and time when you will die and you will say goodbye to everyone else that remains here. And everything else. And if you're holding on to an idol, death will come hard and bitter. But here's the solution. Go ahead and die now. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3. For if you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, was earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, Malice, slander, seem talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another. You see, you die now. And that you die to the idols that the world says worship. And you say, Jesus and Jesus alone is my Savior. He's my God. And I want to get my identity. I want to get my glory. I want to get my security, my hope set on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to structure my day, my resources, my life around getting to know him. And that's what it is to walk with Christ. Let's pray. God, may we be as those who will say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is no other idol whereby I might be saved. There is no other idol where I can know grace and forgiveness. And there is no other idol that will provide me 
lasting value. All these gods die. May we be alive to you, the living, eternal God. Lord, you are able. You're able to keep us from stumbling, from falling. To present us blameless before you in the presence of your glory with great joy. You, our only God, our only Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority from all time and now and forever be yours. We pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you this morning to make God your God. Lay down the idols that are in your heart. Repent and turn and serve our God who's worthy. Let's stand and sing.